Uh, we have sung about our holy God, and I, I, I don't want to leave that moment. Isaiah 6 says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up with the train of his robe, filling the temple. And seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. These are holy angels in the presence of God. They've never sinned, and yet they are covering their face. Covering their feet and flying. And they call out to one another and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called out while the house, the temple of God was filling with smoke. And what is Isaiah's response? Woe is me, I'm cursed, I am undone, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I have seen the king. I've seen the king. I want to just let God's holiness just rest on us this morning. Before we move into studying the book of Daniel, which we will, after singing that song, come and worship a holy God, we need to be reminded of what the holiness of God does to us. As we enter his presence, we don't do it lightly. We need to be like Moses. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And so I just want to ask you to just where you're at, close your eyes and meditate on the holiness of God right now. Just think, what would it be like if you could see God's glory right now? If you were in his presence like Isaiah was, what would it, what would it feel like? What would happen knowing that your creator who has never sinned, who could never sin, is looking at you, his creature, who has spurned his holiness, who has sinned against him time and time again. He can see your heart. He can see your thoughts. He can see your words before you say them. And you're standing in his presence. You're, you're bowing down in his presence. I want all of us to just Take the song that we just sung, holy, 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 and meditate on that before we move into the rest of our service. So close your eyes, meditate on that reality. Think about what it would be like as a sinful creature to stand in the presence of a holy God and let his holiness just weigh heavy on your heart. God, we would be undone like Isaiah in your presence. Too often we, we think far too lightly 
of being in your presence, of your presence being with us. As Daniel prayed earlier, you are here with us. And there should be an aspect of that that brings fear and awe. And so we say with Isaiah, we are undone, we are condemned, we are cursed, we are a sinful people. But then we see the rest of the passage where you send an angel with a coal to touch his lips, to take away his iniquity, and you have done so much more than that with us. The cross is that coal that has cleansed us. So now we can enter your presence with all humility, with an awe, a sense of being undone still, and a fear and a reverence, but now also a comfort, as Sam prayed, a longing to be satisfied by your holiness. So Father, I pray that you would, by your amazing grace, encourage our hearts with the presence of your holiness as we meditate on you. God, I pray that you would grant us favor to not minimize the severity and the satisfaction of your holiness. We love you. We want your, your presence and your holiness to weigh heavy on us today. May we not take you lightly, treat you lightly. May we, may we be undone and then may we see the cross as the means by which we can be made whole. We give this time to you and we ask that you would work in us to love your holiness all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. I just, I could not leave that moment after singing that song. We do not see the holiness of God the way that we ought to. We take it so lightly. And I want to just move into our time of preaching God's word with that amazing song to finish our time together in worship through song by just saying, amen, move on. I, I want to sit in that moment. And honestly, we were there last week with Daniel chapter 10 with the, the picture of Christ, the, the vision of Jesus touching Daniel and Daniel being undone. So we could have read that portion as well. But here, as we move into the back half of Daniel chapter 10, that's where we are this morning, we're moving into an amazing portion of Scripture. All of Scripture is phenomenal, and every single time we come to gather together, I just say, this is the coolest portion of Scripture in the world. This is just an amazing section. I don't know if you've ever had the enjoyable experience of seeing something that's hidden, something in the background of a movie that uh, takes a little bit of effort and a little bit of knowledge to notice. These things have been labeled uh, Easter eggs, and they're all over, specifically like Pixar movies. They're all over Pixar movies. Sometimes we notice them on our own. Usually, it takes somebody to show me the Easter egg, the, the cool uh, thing in the background that had to do with another movie, but it's put in this movie. It usually takes somebody else to show me that. For instance, a lot of license plates in Pixar movies are the, uh, the letters and numbers A113, which is the graphic design classroom at California Institute of the Arts. And so they put that number, you'll see that number in a lot of Pixar movies. The Luxo ball shows up in that little plastic ball, the little rubbery ball. The Pizza Planet truck from the original Toy Story shows up in a lot of different movies. Ernesto's guitar from 
Coco is hanging in the background of uh, Toy Story 4, uh, that little, the duck and the bunny where you can win them as prizes, Ernesto's guitar is up there. If you don't understand anything I'm saying, that's okay. You don't have kids, you're fine. Sid from the original Toy Story, he's the garbage man in Toy Story 3, and he also shows up in Coco as well. Stoli from Monsters, Inc. is in Brave. Lotso the Bear from Toy Story is in Up. Buzz Lightyear is in Finding Nemo. There's all these different Easter eggs that are so cool the way that they work together. And every time that somebody shows me that, I go, wow, I would never have seen that if you hadn't shown that to me. That's what we're going to say about this text. We would never have seen these things. We would never have known these realities that we're going to see this morning unless God had shown it to us in the text. We would never know that these things are true, but for God revealing it to us. So let's read Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 21. We will ask God's blessing on our time, and then we'll dive into five different glimpses that we are given of the unseen realm. And I think we will be blown away by it. Daniel chapter 10, verse 10, then behold, a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and my knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem or deeply loved, some of your translations might say, understand the words that I'm about to speak to you. Stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you gave your heart to understand this and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I've come in response to your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing against me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Now I've been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. Now when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and I became speechless. And behold, one in the likeness of the sons of men was touching my lips. And I opened my mouth and I spoke and I said to him who was standing before me, Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision that appeared, pains have come upon me. I have retained no strength or might. Now, how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me right now, no might stands within me, nor does any breath remain within me. Then this one with the appearance of a man touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Gather strength and be strong. And as soon as he spoke to me, I received my strength. And I said, may my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And he said, do you know why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. There is no one who exerts strength with me against these forces except for Michael, your prince. Father, thank you for this text. You are revealing to us something that we never would have known on our own. We need you and your grace to show us, to reveal to us, what is taking place behind the scenes even now? What is taking place in the supernatural spiritual realm? And so I pray that you would help us. Help us 
in this moment to take seriously what your word says. I pray that you would be our teacher, that Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law, that we would walk away from here with a renewed sense of what is actually occurring, even in this very present moment. And that it would lead us to act. It would lead us to action. Comfort us, encourage us, teach us, guide us. And ultimately, we pray that you'd point us to Christ. Grow our love and our affections for him. And we pray it all in his name. Amen. We will see in this passage five different glimpses of the unseen realm. Five things that if you were not told these by God himself, we would have no knowledge of them actually being real, actually occurring. Number one, the first reality is that angels are real. Angels are real. We know that from this text. This is in verse 10 through 11. If you've been with us in our study of Daniel, you know we're in the prophetic section of the book. The first six chapters are narrative. The last six chapters are prophecy. Daniel is receiving visions. This is the last vision that he is being given. And he is inquiring of the Lord. He prayed that God would help him. And for 21 days in the last section of scripture that we looked at last week, he was praying and there wasn't an answer. And so now we are learning why it took three weeks for the answer to show up, for the answer to come to Daniel. Verse 10, behold, a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. So whoever this person is touching him makes him shake and tremble. And he speaks to Daniel in verse 11 and says, Oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to speak to you and stand upright because I have been sent to you. I've been sent to you. I don't think that this is the same individual that Daniel saw in the section above in verses one through nine. I think this is a different individual. I think this is either Gabriel or an unnamed angel. And I think we can prove that this is an angel because this individual was fighting against demonic forces and they were opposing him and they were oppressing him and they were bringing him to a place where he could not make it to Daniel right away. So I don't think that this can be Jesus because I don't think that can happen to Jesus. Jesus can't have plans thwarted by demons such that he is stopped and unable to make what he wants to happen happen. He's stronger than the demons. So I think that this is clearly an angel. I don't think it's Michael because of what's going to be said in verse 13. This angel is speaking and said, behold, Michael, one of the princes came to my help to help me. So it's not Michael, but I think it's either an unnamed angel or it's Gabriel. And he says in verse 11 that Daniel is a man of high esteem, or your translations might say greatly loved. We've seen this over and over again with uh, angels speaking to Daniel, God giving the message to Daniel that Daniel is a cherished son, cherished by the God of the universe. You and I as well, if you are a son or daughter of the king, if you have been adopted in the family of God, if you love Jesus Christ and trust him alone for salvation, you too are a cherished child, highly esteemed, greatly loved. First John chapter 3, behold, we'll get to this in our Study of 1 John, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, given to us. Literally, John says, behold what out of this world love this is. You cannot find this love anywhere else in this world. Daniel is greatly loved. So we know that the delay in the prayer and the answer to the prayer coming to Daniel is not because Daniel isn't loved. So too, if you are in the midst of some form of a delay where you're feeling like, God, you are not seeing, you're not answering, where are you? It is not because you are unloved. You are greatly loved. 
Daniel was praying to God and God sent an angel to give the answer. Daniel wasn't praying to an angel. In fact, I don't think Daniel even knew that this was taking place behind the scenes, this angelic traffic, as it were. We don't pray to angels. You never see that in the Bible. We pray to God and God in his kindness sends an angel. But this verse, these two verses tell us that angels are real. Angels are mentioned Unfallen angels, we would typically call angels. Fallen angels, we typically call demons. They're just angels that decided to sin back uh, either in the week of creation or shortly after. The Old Testament mentions unfallen angels over 100 times. The New Testament mentions angels over 160 times. 17 books in the Old Testament, 17 books in the New Testament talk about angels. Jesus talked about angels, preached about angels. We just read a passage, Daniel just read in Mark, a passage about angels where Jesus says that we are like the angels in heaven where we're not married or given in marriage in heaven. Because of that, we know, we don't know how many angels there are in the world, but we know that they don't propagate. They're not married. They're not having children. So whatever the number of angels is out there, it is a fixed number. Back in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel used the phrase when he saw a vision of angels in the throne room of God, he used the phrase myriads upon myriads, which literally is the word 10,000. Myriad is the word 10,000 in Aramaic. So 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million angels. And he says it's more than that because he adds to that phrase myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands. So we know that at least there are over 100 million angels, and that's just in the throne room of God. There are more angels surrounding the throne of God than a third of the population of the United States. And if that doesn't make you stagger at that number alone, just remember that in one night, in a single night, one angel in the Bible killed 185,000 men. There are angels, they exist. Angels are real, and an angel is communicating with Daniel. So number one, we're told angels are real. Number two, a second glimpse. We are told that God hears our prayers. There is a God, and he is listening, and he hears us when we pray. If we didn't have a glimpse of that in this passage, we would think as we're praying, nobody's listening, nobody's hearing. But here we are told explicitly, God hears our prayers. This is verse 12. The angel says to Daniel, do not be afraid, Daniel, because from the first day that you gave your heart to understand this, the prophecy, and then pray to God about it, and to humble yourself before God in dependency upon him, your words were heard. From the first day, this is so informative to us because we see that Daniel was praying for three weeks and it took three weeks for the answer to come to Daniel. And it might seem to Daniel and it might feel to you and me like we're praying, we're praying. God's not hearing. God's not responding. God's not listening. And the angel here is telling Daniel, oh, no, no. God heard that first day. And the scriptures actually tell us that God hears before we even speak. First John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that's exactly what Daniel was doing. He was humbling himself, desperately, humbly coming before the Lord in prayer. We should pray like this. We should pray like Daniel. He's a man of prayer. We've been learning from him and we should pray like this. And if this angel is Gabriel, Gabriel is the one telling him, I have been sent. I have come in response to your words. It's very interesting because as we read this text, verse 13 is going to tell us that as he was showing up, 
he was opposed, some demonic force stopped. If this is Gabriel, we're going to call him Gabriel. If this is Gabriel, some demonic force stopped Gabriel from getting to Daniel. And God saw that. And verse 13 says that God said to Michael, who is off doing something else, Michael, can you come help stop this demon from stopping Gabriel so that Gabriel can get to Daniel? Just notice what that's that's telling us. God cares so much about your prayers that if there's some form of opposition of the prayer being answered, of an angel being sent, or of some form of help being given to you, God will say, you know what? I'll take help from over here, bring it to your aid so that they can get to you, so that your prayer can be answered. God's willing to take one of his divine emissaries, Michael, the archangel, off of one mission to make sure that Daniel's prayers are attended to. And he will do the same with you and with me. He hears our prayers. Do you believe that God hears and answers prayer? If you don't believe that, or if you're wondering about that, then your prayers will become nothing more than simply a mystical incantation in your mind. I want you to hear me clearly, but the Bible would tell us that prayer has no power. Hear me clearly. Prayer has no power. It's God who has the power. And our prayer communicates with the one who has the power. We don't hope in our prayers to bring about the power that we're asking for. And so if you don't think that God is listening to your prayers, then your prayers have just become some rote, memorized formula to try and make something happen, to try and manufacture something, but your prayers don't have power. It's God who has power and responds to your prayers. And this text tells us that he does hear and he does respond. So number one, angels are real. Number two, God hears our prayers and he answers. Number three, a third glimpse that we see here behind the scenes that we would never know if it wasn't for this text and the scriptures teaching us this. Number three, there is a spiritual war raging between angels and demons. There is a spiritual war raging between angels and demons. This is verse 13. So I have come in response to your words, end of verse 12, Gabriel says. I'm going to call him Gabriel. I think that it could be. It also could be an unnamed angel, but we're going to call him Gabriel. Gabriel says, I came in response to your words. But, verse 13 starts with, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing against me for 21 days. So who is this prince? I don't think that it's a literal prince of Persia, that it's like, you know, the son of the king of Persia. And I think we can say that because humans really are not effective to oppose God's angels. Whoever this is, is opposing an angelic force. And that's why I think it's another angel. But it can't be a good angel because it's opposing God's purposes. So it has to be a bad angel, which we would call a demon. I believe that this is a demon. The prince of the kingdom of Persia is a demon. So we're told here already, we have a glimpse into the reality that there are angels, there are good angels, there are bad angels, there are fallen angels, there are evil angels, there's demons. And this demon somehow halted the response of Gabriel to Daniel for 21 days. That's why there was the three-week delay. Think of how encouraging that must have been to Daniel to know, oh, that's why. 
I was praying God heard from the first day and sent Gabriel, but he got stuck fighting this demon. So it wasn't that God wasn't listening, that God didn't care, that God didn't hear. No, he heard and sent Gabriel right away. But we're told here in verse 13 that demonic forces can somehow delay answers to prayer. This demonic force is the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So it seems to be that a demon is somehow in charge of trying to control and use the Persian empire to oppose God's people. And I think we see that very clearly in two explicit passages. We looked at Ezra chapter one through four last week where Cyrus, the king of Persia, sends the people of God back into Israel, uh, about 50,000 of them, a little less than 50,000 of them, to go rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And when they do that, they go and they start doing that. And then we see there's heavy opposition against them from the Persian empire. The Persians kind of go back on their word, kind of like a, a little bit of what Pharaoh had done of, yeah, you can go, but no, you can't go. And so the Persians thwarted, they stopped, they halted the rebuilding of the temple. Doesn't that make sense that demons would want that? We don't want a house of God being built in Jerusalem to praise Yahweh. Let's stop that. If you fast forward in the chronology, you get to uh, the book of Esther. And you have Haman in the book of Esther, I believe, demonically inspired for the purpose of trying to eradicate the Jewish people altogether. Why? Because if the devil can get rid of all of the Jews and there isn't one Jew left alive on the face of the earth, then God's promise about the coming of the Messiah through the Jewish people can't happen. So I think we see clearly that demonic activity was influencing the Persian Empire. It seems that there are hierarchies in the angelic world and good angels and bad angels. We see that Michael is one of the chief princes. So he's a prince as well, but a good prince, and he's a chief prince. He's the archangel, and he is sent to help to allow Gabriel to go speak with Daniel. So there seems to be this group of demons assigned to the Persian empire, it seems that Satan is appointing demons. Satan is just the head of the demons. He's a demon himself. He's a fallen angel. Seems to be appointing demons to like high ranking governments to work against God's people. This is telling us that human causes and effects are not the only forces at work in human history. There's something going on behind the scenes that if we were not told this, we wouldn't know this. Abraham Kuyper, who was a journalist, theologian, and prime minister of the Netherlands in the early 1900s, said this, quote, If at once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there, that's where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggles drone in its backlash. I love that. We see this bits and pieces of this in the scriptures. Opening of the book of Job, you have angels in the midst of God's presence and Satan goes before God and says, God, I want to test this individual Job. It's God who actually initiates it by saying he loves me. And Satan says, no, he doesn't love you for you. He loves you for your stuff for the stuff that you've given him. If you take the stuff away, he's going to curse you. 
And God says, I know, Job, I can take that bet. No problem there because I know he loves me for me. And let's show the whole world. Book of 2 Kings, just write this down. We don't have time to turn there. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. One of my favorite passages on this curtain being pulled back. You have Elisha talking with an individual who says, there's no way we can fight against this army. And Elisha says, no, no, no. There's an army behind our army. Though we have fewer humans, we have way more people involved in this battle. And he prays, God, open this individual's eyes so they can see. This is the chariots of fire, right? He can see all of the angels. And so his eyes are open and he can see not only the humans, but the angels behind the humans. It's insane to think about what's happening around us that we can't see. Angels and demons in this very place. John Patton, missionary in the late 1800s to the New Hebrides Islands, uh, just east of Papua New Guinea, he's the missionary who was told by people around him, don't go there, there's cannibals there. You're going to be eaten by cannibals. If you don't know about this individual, read a biography on John Patton, amazing missionary. One of my favorite responses that he gave, uh, somebody said, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. It was an older gentleman who said, don't go there, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. And he said, John Patton said to this man, um, soon you're going to be dead and you're going to be eaten by worms. So what does it matter if I'm eaten by cannibals and you're eaten by worms? Our bodies are both going to be eaten and on the last day, our bodies are both going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. And he does. He told of an account when hostile natives, when he was in the New Hebrides Islands, hostile natives were surrounding his uh, encampment. They were intent on burning out he and his wife and killing, him, killing them both. And John Patton and his wife prayed all night that God would deliver them, praying to God. Remember, there's no power in just the, the speaking. The power is in God. God holds the power. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that unaccountably the attackers had left. There was no reason that they knew for why the attackers had left. They had surrounded their camp. They had uh, pitchforks and torches kind of a thing. They were going to burn them out and kill them. Why did they leave? They thanked God for delivering them, went about their business. A year later, the chief of the tribe that they were missionaries to was converted. And Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief, why did you stop? What kept you guys from burning down our house, bringing us out and killing us? The chief, stunned, replied in surprise, well, you know, who were all those men that you had with you? John Patton answered, there were no men there, just me and my wife. The chief said that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of men, big men who were in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. And they seemed to circle the house so that the natives were afraid to go and attack. Mr. Patton said, God sent his angels to protect me. I don't think that he would have ever known that that was happening. He didn't know it was happening. He prayed, God protect us. And God sent angels. I don't think Daniel's praying, God, please send an angel. I mean, we know explicitly Daniel's not praying that. Daniel's saying, God, help us. And God sends an angel. There is a war going on around us. I believe even at this very moment, in this very room, there's a war going on around us for our souls. And we're getting a glimpse of that here. 
You know, just one interesting thought on a side, kind of a, an aside comment. God could stop this battle instantly. Just think of how Gabriel's fighting against some demonic force and Michael's brought in. God could just say, done, right? God could snap his fingers and the battle's over. And angels know that. Angels know God could easily do that. Angels don't have the omniscience that God has. So they don't know why God's allowing us to continue. Just think about a situation you've been in where you feel the exact same way an angel has probably felt. God, I know that you can stop this. I'm fighting. You could stop the fighting. Why are you letting this continue? And what's an angel's response? If an angel's ever thought that, I don't know if they have, but if an angel's ever thought, "Mm, why isn't God intervening? I think there's a way to ask that that is sinful. I think there's also a way to ask that that's not sinful at all. Jesus asked that on the cross. God, why have you forsaken me? So why isn't a sinful question? And so I think a holy angel, a sinless angel could possibly have asked that question. God, why aren't you intervening? And their response without getting an answer from God is we will serve the Lord. We will do whatever it is our king tells us to do. And I love the reality of that picture here. We must respond the way the angels do when we ever wrestle with God. Why aren't you stepping in? You could do something about this. Think about angels the next time you ask that question. They know even more so that God could step in and do something about it. And yet they say contentedly, God, we will serve you. Number one, angels are real. Second glimpse that we see is that God hears our prayers. A third glimpse that we see is that there is a spiritual war raging between angels and demons. There's a war going on that we don't know all of the ins and outs of, but verse 13 clearly teaches us there's a war. Glimpse number four, reality number four of the unseen realm that we see here is that angels, number four, are sent to strengthen and to help. Angels are sent to strengthen and to help. This is verses 14 through 19. This angel says, Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. I've come to tell you about the future, to give you a prophecy that we're going to look at next Lord's Day, Lord willing, in chapter 11. I've come to give you an understanding of what's going to happen, to give you hope, courage. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground. I became speechless. Behold, one in the likeness of the sons of men was touching my lips. It's very similar to Isaiah. Here's a prophet about to speak on God's behalf. And so his lips are cleansed. I opened my mouth and I spoke to him who was standing before me. Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision that appeared, pains have come upon me. I've retained no might. I'm exhausted. If you're going to tell me the understanding, I don't know if I can understand it. I don't know if I can hear, listen. I'm, I'm exhausted. I just love that. When it comes to relating to the Lord on our own strength, It's absolutely pointless. And that's why Daniel says, hey, before you speak to me, I I need to let you know, I have no strength. As a a result of this, no breath remains in me. I, I can't stand up, verse 17. How can you talk to me? How can I talk to you? This isn't gonna work. Then verse 18, this angel touches me again and strengthens me. And he said, oh man of high esteem, Don't be afraid. Notice three things. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Gather your strength and be strong. And literally, as soon as he says that, verse 19, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength. And and Daniel says, now you can speak to me. I've I've got strength. You can speak. I'm ready to go. 
This is why angels are sent. Angels are sent to give strength. We are strengthened for the task, regardless of the opposition that may be against us. Angels are constantly acting on behalf of God's people. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. A lot of people have an idea of a guardian angel, like one single angel floating around you, falling around. Maybe there's a couple of verses that describe that. But actually, I think uh, Hebrews chapter 1 blows it up way bigger than just one guardian angel. I don't think we have one. We have multiple angels. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? All of the angels are sent to minister to God's people. We don't have one guardian angel. We have multiple We have multiple sent to our aid, sent to our help. We don't even know that it's happening. We wouldn't know if it wasn't for this text. Angels are sent to help, to strengthen. We are not left to our own devices. Angels are sent to be our helpers. So, number one, first glimpse that we see is angels are real. Number two, we see that God hears our prayers. Number three, we see that there is a spiritual war raging between angels and demons. Number four, we are seeing that angels are sent to help and strengthen us. And finally, verses 20 through 21, the end of this chapter. Number five, angels and demons have an impact on human leaders and governments. We already saw this, but we're going to see it a little bit more clearly. Angels and demons have an impact on human leaders and governments. They somehow influence and impact human leaders and governments. Verse 20, then the angel said to me, do you know why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. I'm going to go back. I was fighting with him. I was sent to you. And then this prince of Persia, this demon stepped in the way and I had to fight with him. Michael came to help me get him out of the way. So I was able to speak to you and I've got to go back and fight. I've got to go back and fight. So I'm going forth. Again, prince of Persia, we saw in verse 13, is a demon who was behind what was taking place in Persia. Now, my brain instantly goes to, well, then are we just robots controlled by demons and angels? And the answer is no. This does not negate human responsibility. The demons are using the affections and desires of the human authorities. They're leading them into further evil. A great illustration of this would be Judas himself, indwelt by the the devil himself. It wasn't like Judas is sitting there in the upper room on that Thursday night, celebrating Passover, going, I love Jesus, and I think he's the Messiah, and I cannot wait for him to bring about the kingdom, to die for my sins, to to bring me reconciled to the Father. I can't wait for this. And then all of a sudden, he just goes, I hate you, and starts walking around like a robot because Satan indwelt him. That's not how that worked. God had been pleading through Christ constantly with Judas. Here's the message of the gospel. Repent. Here's the message of the gospel. And every single time Judas says no, and every single time his heart is turned away from Jesus, his heart is opened up to hatred against him. And so the devil's looking at the 12 disciples and he says, Judas is the one I can use. So no, it doesn't negate human responsibility. We are still culpable for our actions, responsible for our actions. But this does tell us that there is some way that the spiritual world, the spiritual realm is impacting human leaders, human leadership. Now, I want to be very careful. We must not sensationalize this text. And I've read books, I've heard people talk about 
territorial demons, territorial spirits, where there's, you know, a, a demon behind every rock and bush, and we have to go pronounce, uh, you know, exorcisms over every little thing in life. That's not what this is saying. So we can't sensationalize this text. We don't want to make the error of blowing this up to now be afraid of a demon in every single pocket and corner of what's going on in our world. But we also, on the other side, cannot mute this text. This text is telling us something is happening and it's clear that there are unseen evil powers. This text is telling us that, e that influence and control kingdoms and the governments of this world in order to uh, inflict harm and havoc on the people of God. And it's not just this text, by the way. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 2 through 15. You probably know it. You can write it down, but you probably know it. It's a section of scripture describing Satan, but it begins with the, the heading of God speaking to the king of Babylon. So there's a reality there that Satan is working behind the scenes with the king of Babylon, through the king of Babylon. Same thing happens in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 17, but this is with the king of Tyre. So the king of Tyre is being described, but clearly the definition of who that person is becomes Satan. So Satan is working through and in the king and kingdom of Tyre. So John Piper says, I would conclude that there are high-ranking demonic powers over various regimes and dominions and governments and realms of the world, and they work to create as much evil and corruption and spiritual darkness as they can. They strive to interrupt Christian missions and ministry as much as they can. Dale Ralph Davis says, we don't usually think this way. We have no trouble believing that incompetence and bungling are endemic to governments and politi political machinery, but we don't as easily think of suave and sinister spirits of evil lurking in the corridors of our congresses or shaping the policies of our parliaments. And that's what this text is telling us. The government offices of a nation can be occupied by anti-God forces. Again, we don't want to stake everything on demons, but we also don't want to underestimate them. So he says, I'm going to go back to fight against this demon, this prince of Persia. And then he says at the end of 20, uh, verse 20, I'm going forth and then behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. So I've got to leave, take care of the demon of Persia. And by the way, the demon of Greece is showing up soon. Just to think, poor Daniel is hearing all this going, oh my word, there is so much demonic activity happening around me. This angel tells him, verse 21, however, I will tell you what's inscribed. Let me tell you about the activities of Greece. That's what he's going to tell us in chapter 11. There's no one who exerts strength with me against these forces except for Michael, your prince. That isn't saying that God's running out of helpers and Michael's the only one that's assigned. It's saying that that's all that Gabriel needs. I just need Michael. He's a very powerful angel. Jude verse 9, Michael fights against the devil himself for Moses' body. Revelation 12, Michael's the angel who finally throws the devil out of heaven. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 says Michael was the one who was helping Darius, who was helping Cyrus, the king of Persia, to get the Jews to go back home. And so this angel, be it Gabriel or an unnamed angel, says, I have to go back and Michael's going to help. Then he uses this, the last two words in verse 21. He uses the word, Michael, your prince. What you can't see there is your is plural. It's you all, you all's prince. Meaning what? Daniel, your people's prince. So we've got a prince over Persia. We've got a demon over Persia. And then we've got an angel, Michael, that's over Israel. He's going to protect you. He's going to be your guardian. By God's permission, these evil angels, these evil forces are 
influencing human leaders and governments, but God does not leave us to fend for ourselves. We would despair if we did not know that Daniel's visitor, be it Gabriel or an unnamed angel, and Michael are working together to fight against this reality. What are we to do with this reality of demonic influence, demonic spirits behind governments and human leaders? Again, we don't want to sensationalize it, but we don't want to mute it. Could it be that there's demonic activity in North Korea, in Iran, behind Putin and his fight against Ukraine? We know the devil is at work in this world. This, by the way, this helps us that our, enemy, our enemies are not unbelievers. Our enemy is in the spiritual realm. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that there is a war that's bigger than what's physical, right? Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. It's behind. 2 Corinthians 4, Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. Why do more people not bow the knee to Jesus? Yes, stubbornness, hard-heartedness, sinfulness, but also satanic activity. Mark chapter 4 tells us that Satan plucks away, Satan and his demons pluck away the gospel as it's going forth. Luke 4 tells us that Satan has control over the kingdoms of the world. Revelation 12 says that the devil is the great dragon of old who deceives the whole world. So we don't want to sensationalize, but we also want to understand with reality what's happening in our world. Del Ralph Davis says, history then is not only a, a, a long, it's not only long and stretching over time, but it's deep Beneath its surface, unseen denizens carry on a hidden war, seeking to decimate the people of God. And given that, it is amazing, is it not, that Psalm 124-like, the Lord's flock endures in this flesh-eating, saint-hating world. The devil hates us. But, as Stephen Miller says, regardless of Israel's political, military, and economic weaknesses, because Michael's being sent, its existence is assured because no earthly power can resist their great prince. So, we don't always know what's going on unless somebody gives us a glimpse. We've been given a glimpse. Daniel 10 makes it clear that angels are real. Angels and demons exist. God hears our prayers. There is a spiritual war that's raging between angels and demons. Angels and demons engage one another in some form of spiritual combat. Angels are sent to strengthen and help believers. And angels and demons have an impact on human leaders and governments. Certain demons and certain angels are given particular geographical and governmental assignments. Again, not in some territorial spirit but in a reality that we see here in this text demonic impact and influence over these evil governments I don't know if there's a prince over America there's a prince over Los Angeles I don't know if we're ever going to know that but here's what I think we need to do with this text I think Piper and Calvin will sum this up for us well Piper says, take the supernatural seriously. Realize that we are in a warfare that cannot and should not be domesticated by reinterpreting everything in the biblical worldview so that it fits nicely with secular, naturalistic ways of thinking about the world. 
Be ready for the extraordinary as well as the ordinary ways that evil spirits work. Don't be presumptuous as though demons are weak and don't be anxious as though they were stronger than Jesus. I think that's the perfect middle. Don't be presumptuous and don't be anxious. Calvin says, quote, we have been forewarned that an enemy relentlessly threatens us. An enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon and of skill in the science of warfare, we must then bend our every effort to this goal. Let us not be overwhelmed by carelessness or faint-heartedness, but with courage rekindled, let us stand our ground in combat. So what are we to do with this? What are we to do with this glimpse? I think there's a lot of points of application. I just want to give you two that I think come straight from this text. Number one, we must be humbly bold and courageously desperate in our praying. We must be humbly bold and courageously desperate in our praying. Just like Daniel, be humbly dependent upon God, knowing what we know. We're not praying to angels. We aren't even praying. The Bible doesn't have any example of someone praying for an angel. We're just praying for God's help and God can do what he wants with that. Maybe it's send an angel. Maybe it's send a bunch of angels. Maybe it's him himself helping us. But pray, pray courageously. Our prayers, this text is telling us that our prayers in some measure enter into and affect the battles that are being fought, the spiritual battles that are being fought. How insane is that reality? Our prayers are impacting and affecting angels and demons. So pray, pray knowing that God sends help. Pray boldly. We see corruption in the world with political regimes. Pray against that. We see disunity in churches. Pray against that. That's what the devil wants, division. Pray against it. I had originally wanted to take time to do that. We're running out of time. But I had originally wanted to take these two applications and do it right now. To break up into groups, to break up into pockets, do something we, I don't think we've ever done at CBC. But cut the sermon, the sermon short right now and move into a time of actually applying what it is that we're learning. To pray, knowing that angels and demons even now are working in a spiritual reality and to pray that God would help us to fight pray. But number two, we shouldn't just be bold and humble and dependent and desperate in our praying. Number two, be humbly bold in the midst of the spiritual war and engage with it fearlessly. Be humbly bold in the midst of the spiritual war and engage with it fearlessly. We're told in the scriptures to stand firm against the devil and against his schemes to resist the devil. There's language in the scriptures that say, if you ever encounter the devil, which I don't think we have, and I, I personally haven't, I don't ever really expect to, but if you encounter demons, if you encounter even the devil himself, the Bible says you can stand firm, resist him. Don't run away, you can resist him. And the question is why? Is it because we're awesome? Is Paul telling us that? Because he goes, you guys are courageous and awesome and powerful. Just stand up. The devil's got nothing on you. No, it's not because we're awesome because God's awesome. And 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. 
That's why we don't have to be afraid of anything. Don't be afraid at all. Be realistic about the power, but don't fear it because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God is omnipotent, not the devil. The devil is not all powerful. The devil is a created being. God is omnipresent, not the devil. Again, I don't think that you and I have been tempted by the devil. Only six people in the Bible are mentioned as having personally been tempted by the devil himself. Eve, Job, Jesus, Judas, Peter, and Ananias. Even uh, Ananias his wife, uh, Sapphira, is not tempted by the devil. We're not even told that she was. The devil's not omnipresent. He can send his demons to tempt you, but not, he can't tempt everyone all at the same time. And the devil's not omniscient. Only God is. Only God is. So don't fear the devil. Don't sensationalize this text. Don't mute it. Live in light of it. I don't know what an angel fight looks like. I can't wait to watch the, the DVDs of this when we get to heaven and see what it looks like to see angels fighting angels. I don't know what an angel fight looks like, but I know what a human fighting an angel looks like. I know what a human fighting the devil looks like. It looks like Jesus standing his ground and saying no to all of the devil's advances and saying yes to everything that the Father says to do. I know what a human fighting against the devil looks like. And it looks like Christ going to the cross, setting his face to Jerusalem to say, I'm going to die. Get behind me, Satan. I have a job to do and I'm going to do it so that I glorify my Father and I win for myself, my people. We know what a human fighting against the devil looks like. And it looks like Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. It is paid in full. You and I have nothing left to do to work or to gain God's favor or to strive to get into heaven. We couldn't do that. And so Jesus does all the work for us so that we can say, yes, it is finished. And I trust in Christ alone. And when Christ rose from the dead, he crushed the devil's head. And so we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. That's what Martin Luther said when he wrote A Mighty Fortress. And so I was going to have us pray in groups, come back, look at application point number two of being bold, as we've just discussed, and being fearless. And then we were going to sing. And so I think that would be a good opportunity for us to confirm these realities to our heart. When Martin Luther wrote, A mighty fortress is our God, he said, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, just like we've seen. We will not fear. We won't be afraid. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. Seems scary, looks scary. We tremble not for him. We are not afraid. Because Christ has sent his spirit to reside in us. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Let's stand together and sing.